Tall Tales and True is produced on Yagara and Turrbal land, and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. When you become a step-parent, you learn to set boundaries, and those boundaries may or may not shift as you get to know each other better. If you're a sex worker, one of those boundaries may be not to let your stepkids know what you do for a living. And if you're the public face of the Australian Sex Workers Association, better known as the Scarlet Alliance, that's a tricky boundary to straddle. I'm Tilly Lawless, and this is Tall Tales and True, the podcast that finds the best in live storytelling from around Australia and brings it straight to you. Gala Vanting was the president of the Scarlet Alliance, and she's a stepmom to a kid who sounds pretty fantastic. I saw her perform this story live at Queer Stories on Gadigal Land. Four scenes from my journey to parenthood. Which? When I met her, she was six. She had long, dark brown Emily the Strange hair that she hid her face behind, and she gave nothing to strangers, which I was. She had a collection of crystals and a pet blue-tongued lizard with a disability, one dead leg that dragged at an obscene angle as it crawled. When EP, short for excellent pet, later became an amputee, She kept its severed leg in a bottle of formaldehyde. She's that kind of child. I spent a bad dog recovery day with her, both of her mums, and her little sister, who at the time was probably the worst thing that had ever happened to her, having taken valued, nurturing, two-on-one time and brought it to a literally screeching halt. By dinner time, having warmed enough to me to engage me in the stringing of plastic beads to make the same sorts of necklaces you can buy at Gorman for $80, (laughs) she clocked her ideal scenario in action. She told me, her words branding into my memory, this is what we need around here. One grown-up to play with me, one grown-up to play with my sister, and one to make dinner. (laughs) My heart grew three sizes, and I admired her ability to envision the queer family structure it had taken me a third of a lifetime to imagine. These days, as a nine-year-old, she writes dragon script, rearranges her ever-growing collection of crystals weekly, or bi-weekly, it's hard to know what she does on the weeks that we don't have her, and has made it known that she would very much like a cauldron as a gift. (laughs) She believes that she cast a spell that conjured the thunderstorms that came through Sydney this past Wednesday, And I wonder what other powers she believes herself to have. And when she tried to use them to conjure that ideal scenario and instead got two houses and a confusing new schedule and a complex logistic challenge in in transporting her crystals from house to house, I wonder whether she ever doubted her magic or wondered if it had stopped working. Lemurs. It's school holidays and she is seven and my partner and I have taken her to Taronga Zoo. It's our first triple date. I am hands off with children unless they have explicitly instigated physicality with me. I would appreciate if they reciprocated this given the epidemiological bomb sites that are primary schools, but I don't but I don't allow their repeated violations of my personal space to budge my commitment to respecting theirs. 
After 15 years as a sex worker, I'm pretty adept at navigating the nuance of consent and physical communication, which is a pretty awesome thing to possess if you have any ability to influence the, the way a young person experiences those things. Lately, she's been warm with me and physically affectionate, and it is breaking me open. Every time she does it, I begin to feel myself being submerged in this murky soup mess of validation, vulnerability, pride, care, and of course shame for feeling feelings, <laughs> especially about a child. To receive her trust in this way is deeply confronting and it sends me into a state that I'm not familiar with, one that produces a strong somatic response, tight chest, pardon, heavy limbs, gaping heart, airy head, a bit drugged, you know the feeling. It's one that I imagine might resemble the sensation of holding an infant to whom you've just given birth. But as my wokeness necessitates abstinence from indulging my insatiable narcissistic desire to proliferate my genealogical line, <laughs> this is probably the closest I'll come to that feeling. Woke. We are... <laughs> We are in the lemur enclosure, which, if you haven't been, is basically a kid's playground on steroids full of Madagascan ring-tailed lemurs leaping and climbing, out, and, climbing and hanging out with each other uh, and just waiting for their moment to be photographed by a patron and loaded up into the lemur meme generator. A zookeeper grabs a microphone and commences the lemur presentation, where fun facts about lemurs are blasted over the loudspeakers and key members of the lemur community are given mention. She's standing in front of me, taking in all the fun facts that there are about lemurs, and she leans her weight into me, pressing her back against my thighs and her head against my belly. The zookeeper's voice becomes a record being spun in the wrong direction as it fades completely from my perception. The big body feeling rushes in, and I just dissolve. The next thing I'm conscious of is a throwback to my first teenage slow dance. What do I do with my hands? <laughs> I try them on her shoulders, but I'm convinced that she can feel my dissolution panic moment through my touch, and that's not something I want to transmit into her body now that she's trusted me enough to lean on me. They feel awkward and clunky and distant, like I've been posed in a studio for a family photo. The most natural place to put them is on her chest the place where calm connection happens. But I'm hesitant, and I have to think it through. I have to make sure I get the placement right, that I'm touching her flat seven-year-old chest in its exact center. Because I am a sex worker, and she is a child, and because no matter how hard I work on my own internalized whorephobia, I can never fully purge my subconscious of the message that these things don't go together. They can't go together. The distance between a sex work business and a school or childcare center is legislated by the state. Sex workers routinely lose custody of their children in family courts. I can count the number of out sex worker parents I know on one hand. I steady my breath, adjust my hands, and find that space where calm connection happens. Drawing. The little sister is quite talented when it comes to drawing. Most parents think that their child is an excellent artist, and I can assure you, almost all of them are not. <laughs> 
She, however, that guy, but my kid, uh, is, she is some kind of surrealist, carnivalesque, outsider art savant. And her drawings create worlds we would want to be in, amongst bipedal dolphins in ballet slippers, and dogs who have wings secured to their midsections with a ribbon tied with a bow, like the glittery angel wings of a Mardi Gras parade twink, but gayer because it's a dog. (laughs) Or this, buff, tanned, sumo ninja with killer pecs and a red mohawk who looks like he's just got a membership to the gayest gym on Oxford Street, (laughs) who wears swords on his wrists and ankles, ready to cut off tiny rat balls, should they find themselves exposed. (laughs) Or this deeply queer critique of the institution of marriage, featuring a bearded dragon in a beanie and a skull and crossbones t-shirt who has stored his lollipop in his pocket for later, engaged in what appears to be an interspecies hand-fasting ceremony with an oversized tadpole with a five o'clock shadow, (laughs) in which I do is replaced with (laughs) Kafok. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this definitely summarizes my gay marriage politics. <laughs> I read. <laughs> don't we feel radical, don't we? <laughs> I rarely appear in these drawings, unless it's my birthday and children are made to draw you on your birthday. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, Or on this other rare occasion, which sends me into a complete panic that she has somehow managed to learn how to use the online classifieds and has found one of my ads because what I see here is me as a dominatrix in black latex swinging from heavy stainless steel chain hovering over a nude man who's been blindfolded with his own arms and forced to urinate before me while my cat and my cross-dressing rabbit look on. Look, maybe I'm just paranoid because I know what I am and she doesn't quite. And I'm told that my highest aspiration as a sex-working parent is to ensure that she never does. Truly. Peacock. I'm scrambling to find an outfit for my first time marching in the Mardi Gras parade with Scarlet Alliance, the National Sex Workers Association. My costume options are scattered across my partner's bed. It's a kid weekend, which makes all of this extra difficult because in the rush, it's hard to make sure that all of my sex worker pride accoutrements, my blowjobs are real jobs t-shirt, and my collection of badges with sex worker political slogans are out of the children's sight. One of the accessories I'm considering is a red paper fan with the words whore pride, written in black texture with sparkly gold accents. The elder child comes into the room and absentmindedly picks up the fan, unfolding and inspecting it. If I draw attention to this situation, it will stick out in her memory. If I play it cool, she will never think of it again. The word whore is not in her lexicon yet, and hopefully this is not the moment that that will change. She holds the fan up behind her head and proclaims herself to be a peacock, (laughs) 
strutting around the room. We wait for our moment to shift her attention to something else, Lego something, uh, so that we can close out our little brush with danger. But admittedly, I relish the image of her proclaiming this whore pride. I wonder whether that pride in my work and the work of so many other parents, though so rarely visible to our families or communities, is something she'll ever be able to feel or express. You don't have to be a whore to be proud of whores. I wonder whether the queer community she's being raised in, one where having two or three or four mums is pretty normal, where our youngest is shocked to discover that there is no Aboriginal flag emoji, where they pronouns are an inclusion and not an afterthought, where they learn about the right to seek asylum in year four, in our West primary schools, anyway. Uh, whether that queer community will become far more intentional and explicit in extending its sense of justice to sex workers. Whether she will maybe even meet some other kids whose parents are sex workers so that she has people in her life with whom to share the pain of stigma, a stigma that I will not see end in my lifetime. She wants to march in the parade next year. She wants those wings made of loose, billowy fabric that you open by extending your arms. I allow myself to imagine us marching together with rainbow families or some other utopian, glitter, gutter queer family group full of kids just like her, and I imagine her excited and awestruck and part of a history that she can slowly uncover. I imagine the float being followed by Scarlet Alliance in the parade order, allowing these two pieces of me to coexist with pride. And I wonder if we as a community will ever do the work that would support me to be able to allow my stepchildren to someday know who I am. What did I tell you? The kid sounds great, right? Gala Vanting first told that story live in Sydney for the National LGBTQI Plus Storytelling Project Queer Stories curated by Maeve Marsden. For more stories like this, visit queerstories.com.au, subscribe to the podcast, or check out the Queer Stories book. I'm Tilly Lawless, and if you're the kind of person who likes to binge a good podcast, the next episode of Tall Tales and True is ready and waiting for you. This season, we're bringing you stories from sex workers, and I really loved our next story. It's been a long road for sex workers, particularly queer sex workers, to feel accepted by others but also ourselves. And I'm not saying we're at the end of that road, but Chantelle Martin had to begin that journey in a far less tolerant era. I woke up one morning and gave it more thought, and the conclusion to my dilemma was this. I will never ever be a genetically born female. That's a fact, it's reality but I am and can be someone who is proud to be trans. That's in this season of Tall Tales Are True. You can find it on the ABC Listen app. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Carl. And we're the hosts of the kids' podcast, Short and Curly. Each of our episodes tackles a curly question about the world. Like, should we try and bring back extinct animals? Is it your fault if your room is messy? And is it ever okay to lie? Plus, we have a lot of fun along the way. Well, we make a lot of fun of you, Carl. Oh. 
It's a podcast to get the whole family thinking and talking. Short and curly. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.